weeks. We've had several topics, and today's week will be on the topic of church. And I'm excited uh, for this sermon and this word for you. Remember, the temptation stories, three temptations, what were they? So, it's real loud, Terry. Change the stones in the bread. You can't, you can't mention the second one, Terry. There's too many good, other good students. <laughs> one gold star for you. Kingdoms of the world, okay, and then we talked about the context of Jesus. Where was Jesus at prior to entering the wilderness? He was on the Jordan River, and what was happening there? His baptism, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Then he goes into the wilderness, how many days? Okay, you've covered it. We're caught up. We're here. And so uh, we've been to the pinnacle. We've uh, been tempted to turn stones into bread, and sorry, we've been to the... Uh, the mountaintop to see the kingdoms, the bread, and today we go to the pinnacle. And so, Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 13, covers our third temptation in this story. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Well... Like the underbelly of a leaf, the veins of the Kidron Valley branched, split, and divided one side from the other. Eventually, the valley reached the Dead Sea, separating Mount Olive from Jerusalem. The slow trickle of the Kidron drummed out a low floor beneath the site of Jerusalem's temple. Now, go with me, if you will, ascending above the valley inside the 35-acre temple complex appeared the majestic and holy sanctuary. It was the penultimate expression of Jewish faith. Now, from the center court, a 60-foot golden dome rose above the Holy of Holies, housing what was thought to be the only direct access to God in the entire world. The whole structure sparkled with hints of an alternative cosmos, the grand, mysterious world of God. Jewish life centered around the temple. Now, at the top, if you were to stand on the southeastern corner, you'd have a panoramic view of the Kidron Valley. It'd be several hundred feet below you, and you'd be able to see the large stones used to construct the temple. The rumor was that some of the, tone, some of the stones, the foundational stones, were as large as 500 ton. No doubt, outside the walls, the meandering wilderness would invite your eyes to wander, to take an adventure. And the eastern slopes of pagan worship would glisten in the setting sun. And inside the temple... You would see the economic, political, and spiritual capital of the Jewish people, the entire complex coming to life. Now, plainly, 
If you were to stand on the southeastern corner of the temple, in wide screen view, awesome worlds of first century mystery would capture you. More specifically, if you were to stand on the southeastern corner of the temple in the year 24 CE, you'd be standing right next to Jesus, where you would notice he is facing an interesting and daring question, whether he will throw himself into the Kidron Valley below. Now, towing the line of the temple pinnacle loaded with attempting course to capture his soul stood the devil side by side with Jesus. The adversary whispers, maybe he sings, you can be a hero just for one day. Anybody? David Bowie? Nobody? Okay. All right. David Bowie writes a song and says, you can be a hero just for one day. Jake Edwards, the pastor, writes a line, you can be a hero if you just jump. I thought it was funny. It bombed. Okay. It was not funny. I'll just take a note here. Don't do that again. <laughs> then, not quoting David Bowie, but quoting scripture line for line, word by word, the devil proof text Psalm 91, tempting Jesus to jump. As we just read, God will order his angels to protect you wherever he go, quotes the adversary, saying further, they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. It's like the devil presumed Jesus didn't know scripture well enough to offer a rebuke or at the very least, to offer a different interpretation. It was a whisper of legalism and spiritual pride. Since you are the Son of God, show them who you are. Prove something to them. A much stronger temptation to conquer the world of mystery lies behind the whisper to jump. Temptation is, be spectacular. It'd be the greatest arrival the world had ever seen, far greater than a manger. One could forsake Nazareth for angels. A suspect birth narrative could be traded in for a marquee moment in the lights. Between the mountains and the temple, everyone who was anyone, would see Jesus jump. And everyone would bear witness to Jesus' glory. Everyone, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the chief priest, the Sadducees, all the heavyweights, they'd all be there. They'd all bear witness. Just think. Think about it. What a spectacular arrival this could be. All the confusion of religious authority could end right then, Right there. So, will Jesus throw himself into the Kidron Valley? I've learned along the way um, it's my pleasure to share this with you this morning. I've learned along the way that an unsettled heart will generate interest in the temptation to chase the spectacular. I've learned the hard way 
that an unestablished life will thirst for acceptance and approval in all the wrong places. This past spring, I built a life upon saying yes to so many things and funneling every responsibility through the lens of self-strength. I constructed a way of thinking that reasoned the more I took on, the more I could prove my worth. Until one day, all my strength had worn out. I fell prey, I believe, to the temptation of pride. To build my life upon my ability to buy gifts for associate pastors. Oh, come on, that was funny. <laughs> that would thank you. I just threw that one in there. Let me read it again. Oh, man. I would see. I built my pride on thinking I was clever. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. I fell prey to the temptation of pride to build my life upon my own work, my good and talented work, and to judge this work by means of production. I took as my responsibility to spread the message of the gospel, to preach orthodoxy, to preach the best, to speak the best, to lead the best, to be the best. My talent and abilities became the main verb in every sentence, and I the subject. Before I knew it, I had built a foundation upon my ability to perform, and when my strength ran out, so did everything I had built upon it. Everything came crashing down. And had it not been for you, had it not been for the Lord, I would not be here today. Pride is a dangerous drug. I'm convinced that if pride came to us as something to be recognized, we would all dismiss it. I truly believe that. If I could have recognized it, I was way too good of a Christian not to dismiss it. But it didn't come to me as evil. It came to me like all temptations come to us. And it's one thing in this series that has, that, that has taught me anything is the deceptive disguise of temptation. At first, evil proposals will never appear evil. They will always take the appearance of good. Here's what the Wesley Bible says about temptation that I think is specifically important for this morning. The most dangerous temptations are often subtle appeals to spiritual pride cloaked in poor interpretation of Scripture. For me, since I'm being honest with you, the talents and abilities I had were good. I knew they were good. I saw them as good. Then, I went out to build a kingdom upon them. If everyone would just listen to me, I thought, we could be spectacular. It was my own version of pinnacle pride. I wasn't overlooking the Jerusalem temple, per se, but I did have a pretty good view of Chipman Commons. Oh, come on! 
Kirstie, was that funny? Okay, thank you. Man, I just got to stop trying to be funny. Yeah, see? Man, that's what I was thinking. No, it's okay. It's all right. Back to, back to Jesus. We'll catch up with that. So thank, Emily, thank you. Just the laughter is nice. The devil's temptation for Jesus to jump has to do with how God's son should act. I didn't write anything about this, but what comes to mind right now, it's just an honest question. Have you, like me, built up any strong expectations on how Jesus should act? I won't go into that too much because I haven't planned to talk about that much, but that's what's, just to be honest with you, that's what's immediately in my mind. Like, oh man, yeah, if I was the one standing with Jesus beside the pinnacle of the temple, I might have all sorts of things I would want him to leap at. You know, leap for this or leap for that, and you can fill in the blanks. But I think that this is the tension. I know this is the tension in the interaction between the devil and Jesus. The devil has an idea of how Jesus should act. Would Jesus live as if Bethlehem beginnings had any significance? Would Jesus stand upon the promises of God for provision and sustenance? Would Jesus remember who was with him in the very beginning? Yes. Yes, he would. Yes, says Jesus, to the promises of God and to humble beginnings. No, responds Jesus, I will not jump. For it has been said to me, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And in that moment, Jesus resists the temptation of spiritual pride. Jesus resists the temptation to be spectacular in this world so he can break open the promises of God for this world. Jesus resists proving his authority on the basis of living a life of loyalty to the covenant promises of God. Where the devil whispers, it is written, Jesus confidently proclaims, it is said. And in this distinction, Jesus reveals the difference and the legalistic interpretation of Scripture that the devil offers and the relational understanding of the divine family that Jesus participates in. The devil speaks from arrogant certainty, promising control and victory of popular opinion. Jump, look how cool you could be. Everyone will listen to you. You'll be spectacular. Jesus speaks from a firm and confident foundation of trust in the character of God. There was nothing more for Jesus to prove. He was a child who knew his father's voice and trusted in his love. So when Jesus was offered to jump, He stands. Jesus stands upon the solid, immovable foundation of the character of God and his promises. I believe 
Jesus stands upon the scripture of Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their lives never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Do you know what was written in the law of the Lord? What the righteous would meditate on day and night. What was written in the law of, war, of the law of the Lord was Deuteronomy six: Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, I believe Jesus staked his entire foundation on the law of the Lord. All right, back to me. When it all came crashing down, the church board, in an act of God's unconditional love, and I mean that, gave me a, a leave of absence. If you're not on the church board or on the staff, do you know how long that leave of absence lasted? want to take a guess, a wild guess. It, this was not planned. This was not intentional. It's just the way God would have it. 40 days. On the dot. 40 days on the dot. 40 days from the end of the board meeting, which I took my leave of absence, and 40 days when I returned to the office. On the dot. The Lord woke me up on that day, and I went to pray, and as I opened my Bible, it was early in the morning, he said, son, I'm being serious. He said, son, hit your knees. It's been 40 days. And I went back and I counted it up, and God was not joking. It was exactly 40 days. This was not planned, but something happened in that. What did we say 40 days was? We said it's an era of time. That's what we said. Back several weeks ago when we were talking about that number 40 days, we said it's an era of time. Something happened in that era of my absence. I learned that my ability to make it in this world had very little to do with my personal strength and talents. <laughs> in a renewed way, I felt God's Spirit come to me afresh and say, my grace is sufficient for you, son. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, Jacob, get up and walk. Stand upon my promise for you. Build a life of trust in my promise for you. Today, I want to tell you, and it's my privilege to share this testimony with you, I have been changed by the faithfulness of God. I no longer come before you, and I mean this. I didn't have this written until last night when I said, God, this is a really cool like opening about the Kidron Valley, but that's all I've got. <laughs> and I really felt like God said in my spirit, speak from your heart where this message actually has been applied in your life. Wow. And so I woke early this morning to finish out what essentially is my testimony. I thought I threw a good couple jokes in there, but I'll, I'll be better for next week. I'll be better next week. So this, yeah, tough crowd. Um, no, it's perfect. This is perfect. I, I, I get told a lot that I'm vulnerable, and I don't know if I actually believe that. Um, I think I'm open, and there's a, lot, there's a big difference between vulnerability and openness. 
If there's a detail about my life, yes, as you know, I have, I have, have very little filter in sharing what I think everyone ought to know. But to actually make myself vulnerable, I use my openness to disguise my vulnerability. This morning, I believe God has asked me to be vulnerable with you. And it's my joy and pleasure. It's not even hard. I just want to acknowledge that for all those times that you've said, thanks for being vulnerable, I don't know if I actually have been, but this morning I am. I no longer come before you trying to win you over. And I'm being vulnerable and admitting that that was my strategy for a good three years. I'm no longer leaping at the spectacular to secure your wonder in my ability. I'm no longer relying on my natural ability to talk, and God knows I can talk and talk and talk. Today, I've been changed by the sufficiency of God's grace and the might of God's strength. I come before you today, and I mean this with my whole heart, standing upon my call not to be spectacular, standing up, that's not my call, that's a temptation, standing upon my call to deliver God's promises to you. He loves you. He includes you. He makes a way for you. And he will come back again. That is my job, and I stand secure, firm, and I'm not worried at all. I've got one job to tell you his promises, and I'm going to stake the rest of my life upon that foundation. We see in our story this morning that in order to accomplish the salvation of heaven, Jesus doesn't need to jump, does he? He only needs to stand. And neither do we. We do not, as a church, as a personal family, as an individual, if that applies to all three or just one of those, in whatever way that it applies. Here, let me speak to you for a minute. You do not need to leap to establish the strength of your life. You need only to stand upon the character and attributes of God. I want to encourage us to take a hold of a stable faith, an established faith, which says to the temptation of the spectacular, of individualism, I will not jump at the spectacular, but stand upon the promises of God. I will not jump at the temptation to place solutions upon the abilities of my own strength. I've been told before that I don't give enough practical applications, so tomorrow... And I say that as a joke, too. Tomorrow, as you go to work, may you hear in the back of your mind, I will not jump at the temptation to place solutions upon the abilities of my own strength. You know God goes to work with you tomorrow. And the promises for God to fight for you will be just as alive tomorrow as they are in the sanctuary. I encourage you. To say with me, I will not jump at the temptation to think that we must go at this life alone. To simply let go and let God. No. 
I believe there is another way. I believe there is a more established way. In the face of suffering, here we go. This is what I want you to take with you to work tomorrow. In other ways you suffer. I don't know if some of you push paper for a living, but that sounds like suffering to me. In whatever ways you may suffer, okay? Some of you are like me and have been blessed with this incredible gift called mental health and mental illness. In whatever way you suffer. I fight that. I don't know if you're like me. I fight that a lot, especially when I'm tired. In the face of suffering, whatever suffering it may be that you face, May we stand upon Psalm 23 that promises a good shepherd to lead us beside still waters. When you meet those who suffer, may you greet them with the non-anxious presence of a comforting God who meets those who suffer and clothes those who are naked and tends to those who are sick. In the face of corruption, may you hold to the promise of Jesus that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life so that when we come face to face with the broken systems of this world, we can stand together upon the rock of Christ in every situation. When you toe the line upon the pinnacle of pride and you hear the temptation to prove your value and your worth through spectacular display, I pray that you may stand upon the promises that your life is now hidden in Christ and that you are a new creation. There is nothing to prove. Just stand. Keep standing. The promises of God's character will fight for you. As the pastor of New Beginnings Church, allow me to give a one-sentence state of the union. Two sentences, sorry. Three sentences. (laughs) New Beginnings Church, there is nothing to prove. Just Stand. Keep standing. The promises of God's character will fight for us. In the face of our enemies, may we quote Psalm 23 to them, where we will lie down in green pastures and be tended to by the sweet spirit of the good shepherd. There is no reason to worry when we've built a foundation on the rock of Christ. Let us stand. Let us stand. Let us stand. I'll just end it right there. But I won't. The world. <laughs> the world will tell us. Oh, I love you. The world will tell us that in order to be faithful Christians, we must solve the world's problems. The world will be quick to tell us to jump, to be perfect, to prove that the church is worth something. In the face of such voices, may we remember the perfect obedience of Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. And instead, he emptied himself until all he had to lean on was the promises of God. And he turned the world, religious world upside down 
in offering stability to an anxious and over-busy world. So friends, the last two sentences, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Stand upon his promises. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. Oh, you guys are great. Well, today's a sad day. But before I get into all of that, let me pray. I think I should pray. I should pray. Uh, and strengths finders, anybody? Some big strengths finders fans. Adaptability is in my top five, which means if there's a new branch of a river that opens up, I chase it, okay? It works great for ADD folks. <laughs> But sometimes when I throw audibles like I'm about to do and like I did earlier, that's my personality. It's okay for you to say that you, to come up to me and say, I don't like it when you do that. That's a way for me to learn how to best use my personality, okay? So it's all right, but I do want to throw an audible. And it's okay if no one responds. It's just kind of nice this morning. It's a really nice family gathering this morning. And in my prayer as we worshiped, I was just thanking the Lord over and over again. I don't know if you know that you're emitting this this morning, but the spirit that is coming from you this morning is so joyous. I am just so thankful to be in the house of God together with you. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor and I got to say something spiritual out of Psalms. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I am really thankful this morning that uh, I'm with you. And so... I wondered, this will not be recorded. This part's not on the podcast. But would anybody like to offer a testimony or a word of